Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. It's Saturday morning, 9 o'clock, and that can mean only one thing here on the Score 1260. It's Fizz Radio, J.D. Rachi alongside Thomas Schultz, breaking down the tail end of the regular season for Syracuse basketball. They finished that up today down in Clemson, South Carolina, taking on the Tigers for the second time this season. We'll also look ahead to the upcoming ACC tournament, the NCAA tournament that is likely coming for Syracuse basketball. And then we'll break down a little bit of football. Their first depth chart released this season earlier this week. It's a very interesting one. A lot of twists and turns and weird things happening in that depth chart but we're going to start with the sport that matters most right now in Syracuse and that is the Syracuse basketball team coming off an ugly loss on Monday against number two Virginia and you can look at this as Syracuse got blown out I mean they got absolutely destroyed in the second half Thomas but UVA legitimately could not miss. I, I've never quite seen a three-point shooting performance quite like what the Cavaliers put on on Monday. Virginia went 18 of 25 from three. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, Kyle Guy hit 80% of his shots, and he's known as an elite three-point shooter, but that's his best performance ever in his whole college career. He's a junior, but he wasn't the only guy knocking down shots. DeAndre Hunter hit the most threes he's ever hit in a game. He had five, and Ty Jerome, their other knockdown three-point shooter, went five of six, which was his most efficient night of the season. So everyone on that team couldn't miss. I mean, Kyle Guy, talk about a guy that just sticks around for four years, and he's just a thorn in the side of Syracuse. I mean, there's so many, like Grayson Allen, he stuck around forever. He was always good against Syracuse. There have been so many guys over the years that, and it's not even just against Syracuse, it's just in general. We're so used to this one-and-done culture of, oh, Zion's great, he'll beat you up, but he's only going to beat you up two, three times in one season. Kyle Guy's going to beat you up for four years, and you're going to get annoyed every time it happens because he's out there just cannon threes. I remember his freshman season when UVA came to the Carrier Dome. He shot the lights out then, too, and it's like, who's this little kid with a man bun? Like, why is he playing basketball at a high level? He's a talented player. He's a really, really good basketball player, and he showed that against Syracuse. But really, I don't know how much of this loss was that Syracuse played poorly, which I think they did in the second half especially. We'll get to that in a minute. But... I mean, you, there, it's not very often that you see a shooting performance for a whole team quite like what you saw with Virginia. There were pretty some decent closeouts in terms of the defense or Syracuse, but they were just knocking down everything. So I'm not quite sure how much you can point to and says and say this is a bad loss for Syracuse. I mean, they're the number two team in the country for a reason. Well, and we're quick to forget Syracuse ended the first half up 34-32. And really in the first half was when Virginia was knocking down open shots. It was the second half that Syracuse really got out and contested those looks. And there was nothing easy for Virginia. Kyle Guy at one point said, hey, I couldn't even see the basket. I was just chucking stuff up. And everything, he was making everything. Yeah, everything That's why he's in. annoying right there. Yeah, and he can't even see the basket and he's still making yeah. stuff? Come on. He's one of those guys where it's just like, dude, like, go to go pro. Leave college. Get out of here. Like, Let the ACC have some young guys in but here. But the thing is, will he be a good pro? Like, I don't think he will be. I mean, besides shooting threes, I, I don't know what else he's got. I mean, Kyle Korver, I guess, has made an, an entire 
incredibly long career out of it, but there aren't many guys that just go out there and shoot the three without developing a, another facet to their game and are successful in the NBA. But it's just, you know, you look at this Syracuse basketball team, yeah, the zone is supposed to give up threes. That's the weakness of the zone. If you shoot over the zone, you're going to have success. But it's never quite on this level. I think that you really can't – not that you can't take anything away from this game. I think UVA did a pretty good job um, of getting open shots and utilizing the high post. They have a lot of talented players. They used DeAndre Hunter in the high post. They used Ty Jerome in the high post, That another soft spot of the zone. And they played a, they played it the game plan almost perfectly – but at the same time, 18-25, to 25, I mean, that's just ludicrous how good that is. Well, and the thing was, Ty Jerome hit a 35-foot three. You just can't extend the zone that much or else you're going to get it exploited. And Syracuse, to their credit, they did a good job of kind of condensing the soft spot because they've gotten burned by DeAndre Hunter before in that area. Merrick Dolzhai was fantastic just clogging those lanes. I mean, you know who wasn't? Pascal. Pascal. He had a rough <laughs> He did not play well defensively. No, he didn't. But, I mean, look, Frank Howard and Tyus, they, they played well at the top of the zone, and they stopped DeAndre Hunter, and it was clear that that was their game plan going into it. The problem is you can stop the scoring in the, in the middle of the zone as much as you want, but if teams are shooting 18 of 25 from three, it's not going to matter. And I think an interesting thing that you mentioned, Thomas, is the fact that Syracuse was up by two at halftime. Like, people are like, oh, my gosh, like, is this another top two win? Like, you beat Duke at Cameron Indoor. You played them close at home. You had a lead at halftime. And then you play Virginia close at home, at least in the first half. But I think that reveals a larger problem with this Syracuse basketball team. We knew this this last couple of weeks was going to be the toughest five-game stretch of the year. Louisville at home, Duke at home, at UNC, at Wake Forest, Virginia at home. You wind up going 2-3, and three, which, all things considered, not terrible against by far the toughest stretch of your schedule. But I think the more frustrating thing is Louisville, you win by 20 and you had a lead in at the at halftime. Great, you closed out. You had a lead against Duke at halftime, you lost. You had a lead at North Carolina at halftime, you lost by a lot. Not a lot, it was only eight, but it felt like a lot more than that. At Wake Forest, you blow them out, you had a lead at halftime. You have a lead at halftime against Virginia and you lose. This team has got to learn to close. There has got to be some sort of Mamba mentality, some Kobe Bryant in the blood of some of these guys to be able to go out and close a basketball game. Because guess what? We're in March. You have to be able to close in March. Otherwise, you will not win basketball games and your season will come to an end. There has got to be some sort of flip to switch or switch to flip or however you want to put it. There's got to be something there. For Syracuse to point to and say, this is the thing we've got to do to be able to, let's take the lead in the first half and let's play a full, you know, a full game of basketball, a full 40 minutes, and let's close the game out against a good opponent. And there's one guy Syracuse has who has that takeover mentality. That's Tyus Battle. But I don't think he's got that Mamba mentality where he's just saying, all right, you know what? Kobe. He's he's not. I mean, sometimes when the game's on the line, he'll take over, but it's not consistent enough. And when he goes 5 of 19 for 11 points, I know Virginia's a good defensive team, but Tyus Battle's got to do better than that. And you need other guys like Elijah Hughes to step up. He can't be going 3 of 6. That's a fine shooting percentage, but that's just not enough shots, especially in the second half. Syracuse has to move move the ball around. They did it very well in the first half. That's why they were up at halftime. 
and Virginia did well in the second half to do better on defense and play a much more stingent defense. But Jim Beheim said it in his press conference. We had to move the ball around in the second half, and we just didn't get it done. Fact of the matter is you can't have two of your three best shooters in Buddy Beheim and Tyus Battle going 5 of 19 like Tyus did and 4 of 11 like Buddy did in a game. You will not win against the upper echelon elite programs in the country. You will win. There's no way. You have got to make shots. And that was the problem in November. That is the problem in March. There are games when Tyus is unbelievable, where you can't even begin to imagine the kinds of special things he does with the basketball. Then there are games where he misses 14 shots and misses four threes. You cannot have that from your best player. You cannot have the highest scoring player on the team have 11 points. You have to be getting 15, 16, 17, 18 or more out of Tyus night in, night out. And I'm not saying, uh, like, Tyus is this team. This team will live and die with how Tyus Battle plays the game of basketball. That's the fact of the matter. And I'm not trying to put so much pressure on Tyus because the guys around him also need to step up. Like you said, Elijah Hughes has to take more shots. But Tyus has got to be better than 5 for 19. I don't know if that's his teammates taking some of the pressure off, if that's just the pack line defense with Virginia, but 5 of 19 is not going to be a good enough number to win in March. That's the fact of the matter with this basketball team. And something that might get a little bit overlooked, Tyus was 0 for 1 from the line. He needs to get there hopefully double-digit times. the ball to the cup. And that's a problem that SU has had all year long. For some reason, this team, which is not a good shooting team outside of Buddy Beheim, they love chucking up threes. What they should do and what they do when they win is they drive the ball. But the problem with that is they're so bad at shooting free throws. Yeah, it's it's abysmal. This this was one of their better games. They went 7 of 11 from the line. That's what? 64%. Yeah, it's it's not great. It's 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 not great. And 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 I feel like we're being maybe a little bit negative right now. Only because of the fact that I really don't think this is all that bad of a loss for Syracuse. It's the number 2 team in the country. They've only lost twice the whole season. Both those games were to Duke, the most talented team in the country. Like, this is a really, really good Virginia team. And Syracuse had the lead at halftime. It's just a matter of, you know this Syracuse team has the ability to play with just about anybody in the country. They beat Duke at Cameron Indoor. Yes, they didn't have Cam Reddish. Yes, they didn't have Trey Jones. But you beat Duke at Cameron Indoor. Not many other basketball teams. I'm not even sure if any other basketball team in the country, I'm not completely familiar with Duke's schedule, can say that they beat Duke at Cameron Indoor with the team that they have. You weather the storm of Zion Williamson. This team can beat anybody. Now you got to put the pieces together. And you got to have 40 minutes of consistent basketball. You need to have a first half that you get off hot, and then a second half where you don't fall apart, or vice versa. It's got to be one or the other. And I just don't know what's happening in the second half, because you can say, oh, maybe it's fatigue, but the 2-3 zone is meant to keep players 
you know, keep them from not being fatigued. And you're so much deeper than you were last year. Yeah, and it's just, I don't know if they're getting lackadaisical or they're getting comfortable, but against these top five opponents, you can't take a playoff because the game can change in one possession. Kyle Guy can hit a 30-foot contested three-point shot. Ty Jerome can hit a 35-foot shot, shot from the logo. And that's what they did. And that just built Virginia's momentum all game long until Syracuse just couldn't recover. There are positives to take away for this Syracuse basketball team. I really do believe it when I say they can play with just about any team in the country. If you can play with Duke, yes, I understand they had injuries. But if you can play with Duke, you can play with anybody. It's just a matter of what you're getting on any given night and what you got against Virginia offensively is not going to cut it. You've got to have what you had against UNC in the first half offensively, and you got to play sound defense, which Syracuse didn't do. Otherwise, you don't give up as many open three-point shots as you did. Jim Beheim said, listen, that's the worst three-point defense I've seen in my entire, my entire time coaching. Dude's been coaching for over 40 years. If that's the worst, then you know it was bad. Like, let's not let Syracuse get off scot-free in terms of, well, UVA, you know, they just made an insane amount of shots. Syracuse didn't play the defense to take away those open jumpers. you got to put it all together. It's March. Let's bite down. Let's buckle down if you're Syracuse basketball and put yourself in a position to win. They get a chance to bounce back later today, coming up at 12 noon down in Clemson, South Carolina, taking on the Clemson Tigers for the second time this season. We'll preview that game and the rest of the season when we come back. You're listening to Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. Virginia in the rearview mirror. Now the next opponent for Syracuse is Clemson. We're here to break down that game, plus the road ahead here on Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. J.D. Rachi back alongside Thomas Schultz after a quick break, and this is a Clemson team that Syracuse already beat once this season. They beat them 61-53 in the home ACC opener back in January. Yeah, it's only an eight-point win, but it was a little bit more comfortable than that. It's a Clemson team that went to the Sweet 16 last year, returned most of their guys, but hasn't had the most successful of bounce-back seasons after coming off that nice little run that they had in the NCAA tournament a year ago. 8-9 and nine in the ACC coming into this game, 18-12 and 12 on the season. Still a pretty good basketball team. They're playing at Little John. It'll be senior day. There's a lot of seniors on this team. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Is this a trap game for Syracuse looking too far ahead to the ACC tournament, or is this one they get they take care of, you think? Yeah, I think this is a trap game. I mean, you're coming off three games against top five teams in the country, and then you go play the last game of the year down in South Carolina against Clemson. I mean, look, Clemson isn't the basketball school that these other schools are, and they're obviously not the team that these other schools are, and you already beat this team. There's not a whole lot to get hyped about. I mean, you beat them. You, you limited Elijah Thomas to 13, which is their big man, and that's really what you need to do in this game as well. Marquise Reed got his. He had 16 last time, but they did a good job against him. He only went 5 of 13 from the field. So Syracuse did a great job defensively. They just need to repeat that, but look, this is a Clemson team, like you said, J.D., with a lot of seniors on that team. They're still maybe thinking they might get into the tournament. They're definitely a long shot, but if they are ever to make a run, it's right now. So, yeah, I think they've got a lot to prove, and Syracuse should watch out. This Clemson team is so interesting because we've become so attached to this idea of the one and done. Like, if you're worth your salt in terms of being a prospect, 
And if you're worth your salt in terms of going to the NBA, you got to go one and done. You got to get out of college basketball as soon as possible. Go get your paid for your likeness. Go get a big contract. Go shine a, sign a shoe deal. Things like that. But this Clemson team, yeah, they're only 18 and 12. That's not great. But they're doing it with a ton of veteran leadership. They have four starters who are seniors or grad students. David Scara, and all of them actually, are transfers from other programs. So the way that this Clemson team is constructed is very interesting. David Scara is a lockdown perimeter defender. He's from Valparaiso. Their best player is Marquise Reed, a really good point guard. Crafty, quick, explosive off the dribble, can shoot the three ball. He's from Robert Morris. Big man that you mentioned, Elijah Thomas, one of the more finessed big men in the ACC in terms of the ability he has in the low post to score the basketball. He transferred from Texas A&M. And then you've got Shelton Mitchell, who's another really good guard, a two-guard for them that came over from Vanderbilt. So this is a team that has a lot of experience. All of them have been in the program for at least two seasons. Most of them transferred from those programs after their freshman season. So they've got to learn under Brad Brownell. They have got to have the tutelage of one of the better coaches in the ACC. And they know this system. They know what Coach Brownell wants. And they know how to win basketball games like you saw a season ago. So this is a team that Syracuse cannot look past right now. Well, and the thing is, when you have these teams like Duke who are just full of potential future superstars in the NBA, they're great, but they lack that chemistry that teams like Clemson have. And even Syracuse, even though they brought back all their starters, by adding Elijah Hughes into the lineup, they created another mouth to feed, and that kind of seems like it threw off their chemistry at times this year. This Clemson team, they don't have those problems. These are guys who have played year in and year out with each other. They know each other and know each other's game, who's going to shoot threes, who's going to go down low. And, I mean, it, it makes a difference. It did last year. That year might have been a little bit of an outlier. They came a little bit back down to earth this year. But still, a team with this kind of chemistry at any time in any game could just go off it just they're just such a fascinating team for me because I really am just so interested in our guys that are one and dones actually that much better than guys that stay for four years like or even a guy like John ja Morant like he's a sophomore but is he that much better than Marquise Reed like he probably is like he's going to be a top what three, three pick, pick in the NBA draft? So maybe, maybe not Ja Morant, but you know, is Cassius Winston, who is teetering on the edge of should he come out, should he come back? You know, is he that much better as I think a sophomore at Michigan State than what Marquise Reed is as a fifth year senior at Clemson? Like, what is the discrepancy? Is it that you know one guy fits the NBA more, one guy doesn't? I'm coming off on a little bit of a tangent here, but they're just such an interesting team for me to look at. That being said, I think Syracuse should take care of business in this game. Should. And if you remember last time that the Orange went down to Little John Coliseum, we got a pretty pretty uh, interesting ending, a pretty exciting ending if you're a Syracuse fan. Tyus Battle hit that three in the corner to take down Clemson at Little John two seasons ago as a freshman. I think this is a Clemson team that poses a couple of problems for Syracuse. This is a Clemson team that has, you know, gone after and rode with some pretty good teams. They took Louisville right down to the wire. But I think Syracuse should get the job done today. Should. Will they? That's a matter of putting those pieces together like we talked about earlier in the show. But I think they should be able to pull out a win. Well, another team, you talked about how they took down Louisville. 
They almost, almost got UNC 81-79 North Carolina. Oh, that was the vertigo game for Roy Williams, right? Right. When he had the spell of vertigo. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a team that, like we said, they can take down anybody at any time. And we've seen these veteran teams. Those are the teams that are usually in the national championship. Your Villanova's, your UNC's. Those are the teams. They've played with chemistry. They know each other's game. And they just, they don't have these off games like you see from Duke against Wake Forest. Clemson, they, they don't have the, the highest ceiling of some of these other teams, but their floor isn't nearly as low. And that's the thing. I mean, when you have an off game against Clemson, they could come out victorious and they could they could show something that you just didn't expect because maybe you underestimated them a little bit. Tigers right now sitting at ninth in the conference. So that means for the ACC tournament that's coming up next week, they would be a nine seed. Syracuse right now would be a six seed in the in the ACC tournament, both of those teams have clinched single buys. We all we know when teams are going to play for the ACC. It's just a matter of who they're going to play. Because right now, Virginia, North Carolina, Duke, Florida State, they have a double buy. They get to rest for two games while everybody else has to play. Virginia Tech, Syracuse, NC State, Louisville, Clemson, they have single buys. They have clinched single buys. And then we know BC, Miami, Georgia Tech, Wake Forest, Pitt, and Notre Dame, who are just really just not not good basketball teams. Syracuse lost to Georgia Tech, of course. However, those are the teams that are going to have to play uh, in, in the first round of the ACC tournament. So right now, Syracuse is a sixth seed. That means they would play the winner of the 11-14 game and right now that 11-14 game is Boston College and Notre Dame. So at least that first game looks like it will likely be pretty easy for Syracuse. Yeah. Looks like it. Syracuse I'm usually not very confident in, but you're playing those two teams. I mean, I, you beat I don't BC see, twice already. Yeah, I, I don't see how you lose either of those games. It's just they're head and shoulders about both of those teams. It's the, it's the second game that becomes more worrisome, of course. And then you know who they would play in the second round? Who's that? They'd play Duke for a third time this yeah, season. That's a tough game. It's not an easy game, <laughs> certainly. <laughs> right now, Virginia and North Carolina are tied atop the ACC at 15-2 and two in the conference. Duke is 14-3, and three, which, I mean, those 2-3-4 t- in the country, Virginia, North Carolina, Duke. I mean, it doesn't get much better than those teams. I know Gonzaga is really good. I know Tennessee is really good. I know there are some really good teams in the country. But that is the cream of the crop right there. You've also got three of the best coaches, the best minds in college basketball in Tony Bennett at UVA, uh, Roy Williams at North Carolina, and Mike Krzyzewski at Duke. I mean, that is a gauntlet. So Syracuse, right now, their path to an ACC championship as we stand currently. Things can change with, you know, how does the Clemson-Syracuse game shake out today? How do other games across the ACC shake out today? But right now, their path would be you got to beat BC or Boston College. Or BC or Boston College, those are the same teams. you got to beat BC or Notre Dame. Then you'd have to beat Duke. Then you would likely, likely meet the two-seed North Carolina in the semifinals, and then you'd theoretically have to beat Virginia. So you'd have to go through Duke, Virginia, and North Carolina, plus a cellar dweller to win the ACC championship if you're Syracuse. I, I don't think I'm going to be betting on Syracuse. I to would win. not. I'd probably, if I had to bet Syracuse or the field, I'd likely take the field. Probably. That would be my guess. But maybe they surprise us. We know they're a good postseason team. But I think they're a good postseason team against teams not in the ACC. Because these teams are familiar with the 2 3 zone, which is always the big, you know, 
well, nobody can play against the zone in March. How, what the heck's happening? Everybody can beat Syracuse in the regular season. Well, that's because ACC teams are used to seeing it. Not everybody else is. But that, that brings us to the NCAA tournament, which is coming up in a couple of weeks, which is really crazy to think of that we're already in that mode. We're going into conference tournaments next week, then the week after we'll have the NCAA tournament. Right now, Syracuse sitting right on the 8-9 line. They're pretty much a lock at this point, I'd say, to play in the NCAA tournament. But who do you think has to step up for them to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament? I'd have to go with O'Shea Brissett. He, he, he's had some games reminiscent, reminiscent of last year, but he just hasn't been consistent. He was terrible against Virginia. And the thing is... Not good. I mean, Jim Beheim literally said he can't make shots. Yeah, I mean, in the past couple games, Jim Beheim's like, you know, since the beginning of the year, he's been terrible on offense. Frank Howard's just been a shell of the guy he was last year. Buddy Beheim stepped up. Jalen Carey's just non-existent. I mean, the thing is, when Syracuse loses in March Madness, they lose to an ACC team. The problem is, almost all the ACC teams make March Madness because the conference is so good. They're, it's so good. It, and, and they all make deep It is deep so runs. good. Like, a Louisville team, which I think is, I know Syracuse beat them by 20, but I think Louisville's one of the most underrated teams in the country. They're at 10-7. and seven. They're a 7 seed right now in the ACC. Like, that's ridiculous. You've got one, two, three, four, five teams in the top 25 in the ACC. Three in the top five alone. And all five of those teams that are in the top 25 are in the top 15. It's it's absurd. The and conference is really good. And they're gonna Syracuse is going to have to put on a heck of a show to do much of anything in the ACC tournament. We've seen them turn it on in postseason play before. Will they do it again? Only time will tell. But today, later today, at Clemson at 12 o'clock, we'll have all your coverage on at Orange Fizz on Twitter. Make sure you follow along with us. We'll have postgame coverage of as well of the regular season finale. But enough basketball. It is basketball season, but spring football is officially back. We'll talk about the first depth chart of 2019 for the Syracuse football team coming off one of the best seasons in quite some time. That'll be coming up on Fizz Radio. Rolling right along here on Fizz Radio on the score 1260. We talked a little Syracuse basketball in the first couple of segments of the show. Now let's turn our attention to Dino Babers. Yes, it's March. Yes, there is snow on the ground. But it is football season in Syracuse, New York. Syracuse opened up spring practice on Sunday. With that came the first depth chart of the season. And right at the top, the very first position you see, quarterback. No Eric Dungy anymore. He's gone. Thank you for your time, Eric. It was incredible. You will likely have your number retired in Syracuse. You will be a legend forever. But it's Tommy time, baby. Tommy DeVito, officially QB1 on the depth chart. We knew it was coming. But you still get like this little, almost butterflies in your stomach when you see Tommy DeVito at the, as the QB1 for this Syracuse football team. Yeah, I, I'm getting tingly, man. I mean, Tommy DeVito, he's waited his time. He he performed, He had some up and down to, uh, games last season, but I think junior year, there's going to be some problems. Uh, for any first-time starter, there's going to be some issues. But Tommy DeVito with that arm talent, with this speed at wide receiver that this team has, I mean, t- Taj Harris, Nikeem Johnson, Sean Riley, it's going to be a nasty offense. And you, you pair that with just a deep, dirty running back room, too. 
The running back room is so good right now. I just want to say one thing about Tommy DeVito. I wrote an article about this uh, this depth chart, reacting to this depth chart. We won't get into it that much here on the show. We'll just give our first kind of surface-level reactions. But if you want to check it out, it's on orangefizz.net. Took a deeper dive into, you know, bits and pieces, the the new secondary, the new linebacking crew, who's going to replace Chris Slayton, some movement on the offensive line. There's a lot of interesting things about this Syracuse uh, depth chart, this first depth chart of the season. But I just want to say one thing about Tommy DeVito. You showed up, you showed out against North Carolina. That was your shining moment. You showed up, you showed out against Florida State. That was a shining moment. Now you got to get rid of the Western Michigan game. You got to get rid of the Notre Dame game. You got to get rid of those kind of games. Prove yourself. Prove that you are Tommy Football. Prove that you are Tommy Touchdown. 2019 is a proving ground to see just how good Tommy DeVito can be. He's got three years of eligibility left. Let's see what he can be. Let's see what he can do. The other thing I want to bring up, though, from this Syracuse depth chart, there, are, like I said, there are a lot of interesting twists and turns bits and pieces but two guys we thought for sure oh they're gonna be sure fire starters sure fire no question about it Christian Jackson and Abdul Adams neither of them right now are starters Christian Jackson is currently listed as the backup to Sean Riley at slot receiver with Cameron Jordan and Sherrod Johnson listed as starters for wideout again this is the first depth chart of the season it could easily change but that was shocking and then Abdul Adams is listed as the or backup with Jarvion Howard to Mo Neal. These are two guys that had huge impacts in the bowl game. I mean, they probably had the two most impressive performances of the bowl game. So it's very surprising to me, at least, that neither of them are listed as starters right now. Well, and the thing is, I mean, you could say they're new to the program. That's why they're maybe not starters. They've been here for a year. Exactly. They, they've been here, yeah. and they were phenomenal in the bowl game, like you said. And I don't see... I would be shocked if Trishon Jackson isn't the starter by game one. He's going to be. <laughs> like I said, this is the very first depth chart of 2019. Right. It's I would be floored if Cameron Jordan and Sherrod Johnson, Cameron Jordan in his bio on Syracuse.com, it quite literally says, did not record any statistics in 2018. He was a special teamer. He did not catch a single pass. He barely played, played wide receiver. So the fact that he's listed as a starting wideout right now, probably because he's been in the program for three years and Tristan Jackson has been in it for one. That's the only explanation I can think of. Tristan Jackson, to me, is a legitimate starting wideout. And when you've got four starting wide receivers of Tristan Jackson, Nikeem Johnson, Sean Riley, and Taj Harris, watch out, ACC, with Tommy DeVito distributing the football. Watch out. And another reason to watch out, Abdul Adams in that running back room. You talked about it. It is absolutely loaded. Mo Neal, the senior starter. Jarvion Howard, the sophomore power back. Abdul Adams, the redshirt junior combo back, who was a four-star recruit and went to Oklahoma. And then you've got Jawar Jordan, who is a true freshman, who reportedly ran a 4-3-7-40 in winter workouts. Like, running back has been a problem area for Syracuse over the last couple of years. I'd venture to guess right now it is a strength because this is re- this is a really, really good group of guys. And, I mean, Jawar Jordan's not even listed on this depth chart. Can you imagine, like, the Jets sweeps they can run with a guy who runs off 4-3-7? It's absurd. I mean, every running back 
has a different skill set, and they bring something different to the table. Not only, as we said, are they very, very talented, each and every one of them, but they're all so different. And Dino Babers, obviously an offensive mastermind, can use them in such different situations. Plug Jarvie and Howard in at third and one. Plug Moniel in as your pass catcher. Plug in Abdul Adams as your probably your best running back. And then you got Jar- Jawar Jordan. Hey, you want to make a big play? Put him out there. See what happens. It's just incredible what the the weapons around Tommy DeVito. Because Eric Dungy at times, he didn't have a whole lot of weapons. He was kind of doing it all himself. But with the veteran offensive line that Tommy DeVito has, the wide receivers he has, and the running backs, he's got it made. I think all three of them are going to share snaps. Honestly, if I'm Dino, as much as Jawar Jordan is exciting, as much as he is a breakneck speed, run away from everybody kind of player, slap a red shirt on him. Slap a red shirt on him and let Mo Neal have his glory season as a senior. Let Jarvion Howard go. Let Abdul Adams go. Because then there's three really talented running backs right now. Mo Neal graduates. You've still got three really talented running backs with a ton of eligibility left. You'll have Jarvion with two years left after this season. Abdul Adams will have one year after this season. And then if you redshirt Jawar Jordan, he'll have three years or four years left, excuse me, after this season. There are a lot of things to do with this running back group. This is an exciting depth chart to look at because there are so many just tantalizing possibilities. You look at the defensive side of the football. Alton Robinson and Kendall Coleman are back. McKinley Williams is back. Josh Black, who battled injuries last season, he's got big shoes to fill with Chris Slayton going to the NFL, going to the Combine, which he performed pretty well in over the last couple of weeks. We'll see if he ends up anywhere. Jamal Custis as well in the NFL Combine, but... The positions of need, Syracuse, we've talked about it with this class, has done really well of filling positions of need with guys that have massive amounts of potential. Now it's just a matter of putting it together, especially on the defensive side of the football, shoring yourself up, and hey, why not make a run at the Orange Bowl? The only reason Syracuse did not go to a New Year's Six this year is because the Orange Bowl was a college football playoff game. Otherwise, Clemson would have gone to the college football playoff and Syracuse would have gotten the auto bid into the Orange Bowl as the second-best ACC team. They have a good chance of doing that again this year, and there are a lot of weapons on offense, stout players on defense that can get the job done, and this is going to be an exciting Syracuse season. We'll keep you updated with depth chart moves. We'll keep you updated with roster moves, with anything that has to do with recruiting. All of that can be found on our website at orangefizz.net. That's all we really have to say for football right now. Their season starts in August against Liberty. It's going to be a fun one in 2019 for Dino Babers and company, but it's going to be a fun segment when we come back because it's time for Fizz Feedback when we come back on the Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. All right, folks, it's everybody's favorite part of the show, Fizz Feedback here on Fizz Radio on the Score 1260, wrapping up the show, bringing you up to the 10 o'clock hour. J.D. Rachi alongside Thomas Schultz. We put out a couple of polls, but two of them, they've really got my blood boiling. I've really got some interesting takes some stuff that i want to get off my chest about these polls the first one is what was the problem against virginia for syracuse men's basketball bad defense got 12 percent of the vote syracuse shooting 33 percent got 18 percent of the vote and the overwhelming winner was 70 percent with uva couldn't miss which i agree with i will say that was the problem i mean uva could not miss yes the defense wasn't great but they couldn't miss yeah i mean the thing is when you're playing virginia you're not going to shoot well. And the defense 
We talked about this earlier, JD. It wasn't great in the first half, but in the second half, they really, really tightened up. And all of those shots were contested. Like we said, Kyle Guy said, hey, I couldn't even see the hoop. They just drilled everything. DeAndre Jordan, or DeAndre Hunter, excuse me. Imagine uh, DeAndre Jordan just nailing threes. That that would be, That'd be pretty the, awesome. worst, the worst game for Syracuse ever. <laughs> yeah, DeAndre Jordan, Ty Jerome, and Kyle Guy all had their best three-point shooting performances of the year. Kyle Guy and DeAndre Hunter, best three-point shooting performances of their careers. Like, you're just not going to beat that. There's nothing you can do about that. You just take the L and move on. We've got two comments on this poll. I agree with both of them on a visceral level. The first one is from BC at Teach C3. Well, UVA couldn't miss because of bad defense. So, well, part of it was the defense wasn't great. And yes, Coach Beheim said it's the worst three-point defense we've ever played in my 40-plus years here. They shot 72% from three. I mean, Steph Curry, who is the greatest shooter on the planet, probably the greatest shooter of all time, is shooting 44%. That's 28 percentage points higher. I mean, you probably, I mean... If you look at a three-point contest, like Joe Harris, what did he shoot percentage-wise in the three-point contest? It was probably about 72%, and those are wide-open shots. Like, they just shot the lights out. Like, I just, they shot the lights out. That's the fact of the matter. The defense wasn't good, but you don't shoot 72% just because the defense is bad. You got to have an unreal day. The second comment I have a problem with on here is from Jim, at JimmyS71. How about option number four, wrong defense? I think what he's trying to imply here is that man-to-man would have made this a closer game. Stop with the 2-3 zone is bad take. Stop it. Because you you want to complain all season about how the 2-3 doesn't work and ACC teams shoot over it and all that kind of jar- junk. And then you get in the AC- NCAA tournament and you win three games because you shut teams down because of the 2-3 zone. And everybody's like, oh my God, the 2-3 zone is just this magical thing that Syracuse has and nobody else does. And the 2-3 zone ends up becoming the reason you win basketball games. So just, just I'm just sick and tired of that take. Like, the zone is the zone. It won't work against the ACC. It'll work at a lesser level, and then it will win you games in the postseason. So just love it for what it is. Look, man, I, I'm still waiting to hear somebody say, when Syracuse is in the Sweet 16 like last year, let's switch to man-to-man right now. 2014, Final Four, nobody's saying, hey, let's play some man-to-man right now. Just trust the zone. We all know what it is. It's not great in conference play because everybody in the ACC knows what it is and they know how to adjust to it. But once you get into tournament time, and that's what it's for, for tournament time, that's when it's effective because teams just don't have enough time to prepare for it, especially with Jim Beheim's complexities that he's thrown in there. It's just we know what the zone's for. It's not for the regular season. But once tournament time comes, it's a whole other ballgame. I mean, Michigan State had two of the best players in college basketball last year, Miles Bridges and Jaron Jackson. And they look absolutely mystified by the zone. So do you want to play well in the regular season and maybe lose a couple of ACC games because the zone doesn't quote-unquote work? Or do you want to win, you know, two, three, four NCAA tournament games and make a Sweet 16 run out of nowhere? Sign me up for the postseason wins. Anyways, that monkey's off our back. Let's move to the other one that we want to talk about. Which team would you most like to see Syracuse play in the first round of the NCAA tournament? Tyler Aki wrote an article about this, about who maybe teams that they could play on the 8-9 line. We have Washington, Baylor, Iowa, UCF. Washington head coach Mike Hopkins. That would be a great matchup to see, one at 45%. But the team I want to see them play, I want to see UCF. little engine that could out of the American Conference. And you know why? Why? 
Seven foot six taco <laughs> fall, baby. I just want to see a guy that is bigger than Pascal Chuku and see how Syracuse matches up against them. Look, man, he's seven six and his name is Taco. If we don't get Washington, sign me up. Sign it up for UCF. Washington or UCF, either of them would be a lot of fun. We're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, though. Syracuse and Clemson in the regular season finale. That game is coming up at 12 noon. Follow us on Twitter at OrangeFizz for updates throughout that game down in Clemson, South Carolina, down at Little John Coliseum. That'll just about do it for us here on Fizz Radio. For Thomas Schultz, I'm J.D. Rachi saying so long. Enjoy the regular season finale. Get hyped up for the ACC tournament. Get excited for the NCAA tournament. We'll have it all for you on the next Fizz Radio next Saturday on the score 1260.